This is the Mount Carmel Christian Church Podcast. Today, teaching minister Tim Peace will be teaching the message. Hello again, everyone. Well, we are on, I think, week three of our Brave series. I know when I say I think we're on that week, that brings a lot of confidence for all of you. I have to admit something. I have been uh, taking an online Dutch course uh, for three out of the last four weeks. I was going to come out and say, hello, Alamal. That's hello, everyone, but I didn't, but I just did it. So anyway, I had to be up uh, at 4 a.m. every day for this because the university that I'm a part of is six hours ahead of us in time, and I'm a glutton for punishment. So I did it, uh, but I have my exam Friday, and I can put that in the rearview mirror, but I, I want to keep like learning. But anyway, I tell you that, so if my brain gets fuzzy, now you know why. So basically, uh, I am, I'm a part of a university called Radboud University that is in a city called Nijmegen, the Netherlands. I don't get to talk very much about my research project. I'm, I'm finishing my dissertation. Uh, I will be done this year. And um, I am, I'm finishing up, and I've been researching the reputation of Simon Peter in the New Testament. And I tell you that because I wanted to start off by talking a little bit about what I'm doing, and, and it kind of applies to where we're going today. So the idea is reputation, the theory of reputation, the reason people have reputations or the reason we form reputations of people is because a reputation helps Uh, continue on the collective memory of a community. And a collective memory of a community is simply uh, something that we all kind of remember collectively. It's not like we all uh, constantly tell each other to remember, but there are things that help us to remember something so that we can continue to carry on our values and our virtues as a collective society. And collective memories can get embedded or captured within a particular individual, uh, within uh, the the rites and and, uh, rituals that we practice as a a community. In fact, we'll take communion later. Communion is a form of of capturing the collective memory of us uh, Christians uh, and remembering the body and blood that's given from Jesus. And so, uh, reputations form in this way, and there's there's a fellow by the name of Barry Schwartz And he studies collective memory, and he wrote an article on the subject of collective forgetting and the power of oneness. And in this article, he talks about um, the civil rights uh, work done by people during Jim Crow era South. And he starts bringing up in this article um, stories that you might be aware of. For instance, if I tell you the story of of a woman who sits at the wrong spot of the bus and is told to move back and is pulled off of that bus and arrested. You probably would know who I'm talking about. And her name would be Irene Morgan. That happened in uh, July of 1944. Or or maybe maybe you would be thinking of someone else. How about uh, Sarah Mae Fleming? She was taken off of a bus multiple times starting in June 1954. 
Now, I tell you those names, and you're probably like, I've, I've never heard of those people. But if I say the name Rosa Parks, you'll probably all nod along and say, oh, yes, 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 I know that name. Why? Why do we remember one and not the others who did the same thing, who committed the same act of bravery, who stood up in a time when they weren't allowed to in order to change things for those moving forward? It's this power of oneness. You see, when we want to remember a value, when we want to uphold something that means something to us, it is easier if we can capture that in the memory of one individual person. Now, I bring that up because when we read through our Bibles, and and we're going to be looking again at a story in the book of Acts, if we think about the apostles, the people that Jesus sent to do his work of evangelism and create disciples... There are two names that we often equate with that. Peter and Paul. Those names ringing a bell? If you're at home, just nod along with me. I can't see, so you can just tell me that you do, and I'll believe you. Peter and Paul. We remember the names of Peter and Paul. In fact, so far in this series called Brave, we've looked at two stories that involve Peter. Next week, we're going to be looking again at another story that involves who? Peter. Why? Because even in our New Testament stories, it is easier to capture the work of the community of faith, the ones that were called to go and make disciples in one figure. Now, the book of Acts will eventually transition to the memory of Paul, but basically, Acts, first half of Acts is Peter, second half is Paul. Except for one story smack dab in the middle of the party of Peter. And it's the one we're going to look at today. It's the story of a, an evangelist by the name of Philip. And I want to ask you a question, and I want you to keep this question in your minds this morning as we go through the story of Philip. Do I want to be remembered as someone significant Or do I want to take part in doing something significant? Do I want to be remembered as somebody significant or do I want to take part in doing something that is significant? Because here's the difference. You may do something significant and be remembered in the future for generations on. Or you may be a part of doing something significant and you're just a footnote of a footnote and you're long forgotten afterward. One of those things has significance whether you're remembered or not. And it's the being part of doing something significant. And as Christians, our goal ought to be that we take part in the significance of making disciples for Jesus, whether anyone remembers what we did or not. So in the story of Philip, see, we we get a lot of Peter, maybe his companion John thrown in, but Peter's often the one doing all the uh, preaching and all the like. We get to Acts chapter 8, and persecution begins to break out 
in the church. And suddenly, um, we, we, we learn of this guy named Saul who will become Paul. He is uh, breathing out murderous threats against the church. And the story shifts all of a sudden to this guy named Philip. And when we first meet Philip, he's doing evangelistic work in Samaria. And he goes back down south to Jerusalem. And then after that, he starts to go southwest to Gaza. But on his way there, God shows up to shift the story for him. And and I want you to follow along with me as we read through his story and what happens with, with Philip here. So starting in Acts 26, or Acts 8, 26 through 40, uh, read with me here. It's, it says, Then an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Get up and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a wilderness road. So he got up and he went. Now there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of the Candace Queen of the Ethiopians, in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning home seated in his chariot. He was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, go over to his chariot and join it. So Philip ran up to it and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. He asked, do you understand what you are reading? He replied, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to get in and sit beside him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb sent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. Now the eunuch asked Philip, about whom, may I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip began to speak. And starting with this scripture, he proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus. As they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? He commanded the chariot to stop, and both of the men, uh, Philip and the eunuch, went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he was passing through the region, he proclaimed the good news to all of the towns until he came to Caesarea. Now, this story is a, a real quick narrative. It's a real quick story in which you have um, Philip evangelize this royal official of Ethiopia. We're told he's a eunuch. And uh, it happens really quickly. You know, the angel of the Lord shows up. He tells Philip to go beside this chariot. Suddenly they stop at some water. The eunuch is baptized. Philip snatched away. I often like to imagine that he's been, you know, zapped up like in Star Trek. Uh, I hate to ruin the story. I'm not sure that that's actually what happened, but I like to imagine it that way. 
And, and then, uh, you know, off both of them go to uh, what they're uh, intended to be doing. But if we read the story that fast, um, we, we might miss some important details uh, for us today. So the first thing is Philip, Philip is not the Philip of the 12 uh, disciples whom Jesus called. Philip is someone that we're very quickly introduced to, and we find out he's a, a Hellenized Jew. He's a Jewish convert. Uh, so, so Philip is, has, has gone out and doing the evangelistic work, but he's someone that's been converted to Christianity, um, and, and he was Jewish, but he wasn't uh, born uh, Jewish from any sort of... Um, uh, genealogical sort of sense. He, he was outside of Judaism and he was converted in that way. And so Philip, um, Philip is going to end up being called to this Ethiopian eunuch who probably shares some similarities because the, the, the Ethiopian official is someone who also has a copy of the Old Testament. And so we know he is a worshiper of God too. He's a convert to Judaism as well. So you've got two people that have a similar life trajectory. At the same time, though, we're going to find out that there's a lot of differences between these two. Because in the Greco-Roman world, it was really, really not common for an individual to have the means or the education to actually read a scroll. We know that the eunuch is a royal official and therefore probably has wealth therefore probably was able to attain education and therefore had the money to buy something expective, uh, expensive like a scroll to be able to open it up and read casually along his way in a chariot. Philip, on the other hand, we might surmise that he doesn't have this education, he doesn't have these same means, and he doesn't own his own scroll. But what he lacks in material, he has an insight and understanding and that's where the two paths diverge. Because you have someone like the Ethiopian who has all the means in the world to be able to open up a scroll and read it, and yet he has no insight, no understanding. He has to ask Philip, can you help me understand this along the way? And Philip, on the other hand, all he has to do is hear. All he has to do is hear this Ethiopian royal official read aloud the passage from Isaiah, Isaiah 53 specifically, and he is able to run up along this chariot and explain to the Ethiopian eunuch what it means. Furthermore, in his explanation, we're not told exactly what Philip preaches or says to the Ethiopian, but we do know what the outcome of the story is. Eventually, they come to a body of water, and the Ethiopian commands his officials to stop, and he says to Philip, what prevents me from being baptized? What prevents me from becoming a follower of Jesus? And so, they stop the chariot they get out, both of them go into the water. Philip baptizes the Ethiopian. And when they come up out of the water, it says that the spirit snatched Philip up. This is a story time or a narrative time device here. The idea is that they didn't stay together and go have coffee at this point. 
Philip had an assignment to go on, and so he was quickly whisked away to somewhere else by the Spirit, much in the same way that he was quickly told to go up to that chariot and to go down that road in the first place. And it says that the Ethiopian went on his way rejoicing. His life had been forever changed. What he had in his grasp now had meaning. And now he could go off and share the story of Jesus and make disciples in the same way that Philip did for him. And I think as it, as it pertains to those of us today, we don't often pause to look at a story like this and consider the details of the story to consider exactly what did Philip do uh, to carry out the call that God placed on his life? What, what made this circumstance uh, unique? And so I want to share, share two things um, about Philip's background. Because as I mentioned before, he's a Hellenized Jewish person. And so um, he's not only a Hellenized Jewish person, but so is the Ethiopian. And we get some insight about these types of folks in our Old Testament. So in Deuteronomy 23, 2, it says this. It says, those born of an illicit union shall not be admitted to the assembly of the Lord. Even to the 10th generation, none of their descendants shall be admitted to the assembly of the Lord. Now, that's pretty strong language. Basically, those that are out of bounds in the Israelite culture were not permitted to enter into the assembly, the worship time. And so there was a time in Israelite history where people, especially like the Ethiopian eunuch, but maybe even Philip, were not permitted to be a part of the Israelite community. But later on, and interestingly enough, when we get to the book of Isaiah, things seem to have shifted. So if we look at Isaiah 56, 3 through 4, it says this. It says, Do not let the foreigner joined to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. And do not let the eunuch say, I am just a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me, and hold fast my covenant. And he goes on to say, I will give uh, in my house and within my walls a monument and a name and so forth. So the idea here in these verses in Isaiah is that while the people were told uh, to keep to themselves and to keep outsiders out, God's desire and God's plan is not to keep the outsider out, but to graft them in. And so by the time we get to New Testament times, we have Philip, we have the Ethiopian eunuch, they're on the inside of the people even though they weren't born Jewish at this time. So in some ways they're without, in some ways they have something valuable to give. Additionally here, I mentioned the fact that these two have different life means and upbringings. One of them uh, lacks education, lacks the monetary means to own even a scroll, and if he did own it, he couldn't even read it. The other one is a royal official, has the, the monetary means to own a scroll, has the education to read it. And yet, on the other side, Philip, the one who might not be able to read, uh, has insight, has understanding, um, can hear, 
You know, we often, we often make a mistake. Uh, we assume that Jesus' disciples, because they, they might not have had the formal education of the day that maybe the wealthier elites might have had, that they were just uh, dumb, ignorant fishermen, tax collectors, and the like. But the reality is, is if you were a Jewish person in this time, you were not ignorant of your faith. You may have grown up hearing the stories as children. You may have grown up going to synagogue to worship, hearing them from people that could read them. But the stories were passed down and they were, they were embedded into the minds and hearts of the people so much so that they had a thriving Jewish faith. And it's in that faith that Jesus' disciples were excited when Jesus showed up on the scene as the Messiah that they had been waiting for. Why? Because they knew that they should be waiting for the Messiah at the time. And so Philip may not be able to open a scroll and read it, but he knows his scriptures. And yet, there is also insight that Philip has that didn't come from within him. And he didn't just obtain by growing up in the faith. But it was given him by the Holy Spirit. And not only was that insight given him and the rest of the disciples of Jesus by the Holy Spirit, but his sense of calling, his sense of purpose, and more specifically, the God assignments that he is called to go to all come from the prompting of God beyond himself. This kind of insight also the Ethiopian eunuch lacked. So I have a question for us today. What is it that we have already that we can give to someone else? And what is it that maybe we lack that we need to go to God to get whether it's insight or whether it is calling. What are those things? Because oftentimes when we talk about making disciples, we've done a really bad job as a church community separating the idea of making disciples and evangelism. We think about evangelism and maybe we think about having a pocket full of uh, tracks that we hand someone. Or maybe we get out on a street corner with a megaphone and we shout nonsense at people. Yeah, I said it, sorry. Um, I'm not sorry. Anyway, uh, here's the thing. When we're really talking about discipleship and evangelism, they're not a separate thing. You have to evangelize to make disciples, and you can't make disciples if you don't evangelize. And all of Jesus' followers and the ones that followed them knew that all too well, which is why we have this story of Philip. In the middle of the Peter and Paul party, we have lonely small, insignificant, outsider, Philip. And yet Philip had something to give. And he was willing to go to God to get what he didn't have so that he could answer the call. And that's why this morning, I want you to remember this, and I apologize, it's a mouthful. When we think about being brave in the faith and being brave in the spirit, the call is that you show up with what you've got to get what you need to give to those who need what you've got. Let me say it again. Show up with what you've got to get what you need to give to those who need what you've got. A lot of us will spend a lot of time in the faith thinking about what we don't have, where our shortcomings are, why we can't share our faith. 
We might think we don't know enough. Might think we don't have enough. But I can tell you, if you were created by the God who created everything, and you were, you have something to give. And if you have something to give, you also, like everyone else in this room, including me, have things that you lack that you need to go to God to get. And we do those things by going to God in prayer, by studying our scriptures, because unlike Philip, we have countless editions of this, and we have them on our phones, and yet we barely can make any time to actually look at them. And yet we have an opportunity to get what we don't already have by going to God in prayer, by studying scripture. And then also, we have an opportunity to get what we need from God by merely being open to his calling. And his calling in one sense is a general thing. All of us who are Christians, all of us who are disciples of Jesus are called to go and make disciples. But in some instances in our life, we may be called to a specific thing. Maybe you've had a nudge to go speak to this person or that person. Maybe you have a specific cause that just tugs at your heart and you need to go get involved in it. And you don't know why it tugs at your heart, but you're gonna get involved in it and then God is going to start doing things through you because you answered that call. And because you open yourself up through prayer and scripture reading in order to know the things that you don't already know to be able to give. And whatever that is, be open. And here's why, because at the end of the day, somebody out there doesn't have what you do. And that is a life of following Jesus and the Holy Spirit to help you walk and step in following Jesus. And because we believe that Jesus came to give life and give life to the full, we should want every person that we know to have that life of fullness, that abundant life that only Jesus brings. So show up with what you've got to get what you need to give to those who need what you've got. And remember that not because of Peter or Paul, but because of lowly insignificant Philip. Because really it doesn't matter if someone remembers us or not. All that matters is that we follow Jesus as we're called to do. And at the end of the day, whether our names are attached to it or not, the world will be changed because we followed the calling and the prompting of the God whom we serve. I'm gonna ask that you pray with me, please. God, I thank you this morning for uh, loving us the way that you do, for, for bringing Jesus uh, into this world, that he laid down his life so that we could have uh, abundant life and so that we could make followers so that others can have the abundant life that we need so that they could thrive in the way that you created them to do. And so we thank you for the story of Philip. We thank you that um, in it we can, uh, uh, we can see an example of, of our calling. And uh, I pray, God, that you will just help us in that example to not only remember it, but to act on it in whatever way it is that you call us to do, whether it's our general call to make followers 
uh, or whether that's coupled with a specific call for each and every one of us that uh, comes from you directly. And we pray these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. You can find out more about us on the web at mtcarmelchurch.org.